be commanded to love. And I want to share about love with you tonight. What is the definition of love? Definition, it is a profound, tender, passionate affection for another person. The author and poet Robert Browning said, Take away love, and our earth is but a tomb. You ready? This is what Jesus has to say about love. So if you have your Bibles or mobile devices or iPads, whatever it is you use, go with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 33. And I'm also going to go to Luke 10. So you can probably say a, a book holder or maybe put a finger there. Luke 10. Now, as Jesus is always ministering within a crowd, there is a crowd around him, and he's sharing this to them. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbors as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Your attention. Throughout all history, wars have been fought by religious people over religion. Isn't that wild? The majority of the attacks that Jesus faced came from the religious leaders of his day. And Jesus is teaching and he's ministering. And coming in the crowd is this lawyer. And the lawyer begins to question Jesus about his theology. So he questions him, what are the greatest laws? So as he takes the Torah and Jesus said, read it for yourself. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall have no other gods before me. This scripture embodies everything. Let me stop right here. Jesus says these two scripture verses, verse 30, verse 31, encapsulates all the others. So if we get these two right, we get credit for the whole test. Now, that's not a bad deal. When you think back to when you were in, in school, and I'm going to wait a minute because some of us have to think back longer than others. Remember when you had to take a test? I remember taking a, a, a class 
And uh, the instructor was a professor from Azusa Pacific. And every night he gave a quiz. Even the very first night, my seat wasn't even warm. And he gave us a quiz. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to be NFL in this class. NFL is not for long. In other words, I'm probably going to fail. And so many of us were really concerned about how long or how big the final exam would be. And he said the final exam would encompass all the quizzes that we had been taking. Well, every night the quizzes were like 10 to 15 questions. Now, you get about 10 or 12 classes, it's going to be a pretty beefy final exam. Well, we came to the end of the class, and he announced what the final exam would be. The final exam was dinner at his house. Well, I can pass that exam. That's easy. I know how to eat. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you. So let's say you have a test that has 200 questions, but if you just get two of the questions right, you get credit for the other 198. Now, isn't that a pretty good deal? So that is what's being said here. If we can get these two commandments right, then everything else falls into place. Not because Jesus is going to overlook everything else, but these two commands encapsulate the premise of what all the others Jesus is teaching us about. So we've got to get these two right. Number one, that you love the Lord thy God. So you think and you wait a minute, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me think about this. You mean after all the ceremonial washings, the cleansings, all the feasts, the feast of weeks of unleavened bread, what I can wear, what I can't wear, how far I can travel on the Sabbath, all the criteria that are supposed to bring about righteousness in the scriptures. But the most important thing to God is that we love him. Whether we wash our hands, whether we we bow, how we pray, we lay out. All that he is, is concerned about, really, is that we love him with all our heart, not just part of it, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Wow, that's heavy. Now, I didn't know that love could be legislated. God commands us to love him, and he doesn't beat around the bush here. I command you to love me, he says. Look at someone and tell them, I command you to love me. Wouldn't that fix a whole lot of relationships? Wouldn't that fix a whole lot of marriages, parents, and uh, children's relationships, families, countries, even the world? If you could walk into work Monday morning, walk up to your supervisor, walk up to your boss or your teacher and say, I command you to love me. Wouldn't that be something? And then you could say, hey, by the way, I need Friday off. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what God does. But he is very specific with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. I want you to love me, he says. He says, that's the key thing. Well, then we say, well, Lord, I worked too long and it ran into the Sabbath. He says, love me. 
Lord, I haven't always done right. I've made some mistakes. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. He says, love me. In Exodus 20, 13 and 16, in a world of thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness about, about thy neighbor. Listen, 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 Linda, listen. Oh, if you don't know that one, you got it. You, you got that's your homework. YouTube that. Listen, Linda, it's cute. God says, if we can get the shout right, we won't have to worry about the shout not. Because we can stop approaching God like he's some type of police officer about to arrest us because we've broken the law, because we've gone over the speed limit. And if we can move into an area of love, we will not be worried about breaking the law. Instead of focusing on what we've got wrong. And that's what the devil, that's what the Satan wants us to do, to focus on what we've done wrong. Oh, you're a bad person. You've done this. You've done that. God says, focus on what's right. God's love and loving God. Mark 12, 30, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So love becomes the priority. Look what a big command this is. Have you ever loved anyone, including God, with your all, all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength? You know, we can be loving and loving people, you know, because I love people, but I love them to a point. I, I love them to a point. I mean... I'm going to tell you, uh, if they push me in the wrong direction, I will put on the brakes. And if they push me too far, I'm going to pull up the emergency brake. It may take me all night, but I'm going to pull up that emergency brake. And you know I've pulled it up because you're going to smell the burning rubber. Now, I might probably be the only one in this room right now that, that has an emergency brake when it comes to love. I'm But y'all got to pray for me. What happens? You've taken me someplace I don't want to be. So God says, I challenge you to discover 100% love. Before you die, to know what it is to give your all to God. And to discover through it all who he is because of how much love he has for you. Now, I know some people will say, I'll give up everything. I'll give my all to God. Listen, they probably wouldn't give up a ham sandwich at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) Jesus says, these are the two commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. See how this relates to the elephant in the room. What are your priorities? What are your core values by which you let people in your life or your inner circle or even God? He commands us to love. So, so if he commands me to do something, I must be able to do it. It wouldn't be fair for God to command me to do something 
that I can't do. I mean, Donald, get on a plane and fly to New York or without the plane. I I can't do it. That's not something I'm physically able to do. But because he commands me to do something, I see that love is a choice. Love is controllable. Some people, you have to guess how to love them. You have to figure them out. God comes straight out and says, I want your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. No games, to the, but he's straight to the point. Then God commands us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If God now commands us to love, love has indicted the lawyer. There is a lawyer in the crowd who's questioning Jesus. The lawyer may not have ever loved God with all, but at the very minimum, he seems to be guilty of not loving his neighbor because he's looking for a loophole. Anytime you're looking for a loophole, it's probably because you're guilty of the offense. The lawyer says, who is my neighbor? That's the loophole. See, the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus' answer to the lawyer's loophole. So who is my neighbor is the question on the floor. And Jesus gets us. I mean, Jesus is too much. He, he doesn't give the lawyer a direct answer. It's, it's like, you remember in the text when the Pharisees and scribes brought the adulterous woman to Jesus and they, they sought to, to have her stoned. And they sought to trick Jesus. And, and Jesus, Jesus too much. He, he, he bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. And one by one, they walk over and they look. Ooh. <laughs> okay. He who is without sin, let him pick up and throw the first stone. And so he doesn't answer directly. He answers a question with a question. One by one, as you see, they all walk away. Jesus shares now the story of the Good Samaritan. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is the the main part I want to share with you tonight. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. This is what God's word has to say. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and he saw him. He passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, 
came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he sat him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Your attention. Let's go deeper into this. This is the whole deal tonight. The lawyer asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do you have a meaning beyond the present moment? How do you live a life that adheres to God? One that is saturated by grace. In other words, how does one live a good life? Jesus does the rabbi thing, and they've probably been teaching this to most clergy and pastors. He answers a question with a question. What does the law say? How do you interpret it? Jesus recognized you just don't quote lines from the Bible. You have to share this so that it will apply to a person's life. Jesus lobbed him, that is the lawyer, a softball question. Every Jewish kid had this answer memorized by the time they were probably five-year-olds. Now, we're thinking back to Jesus' time now. He's talking to these, this, these people in this crowd. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Who counts as my neighbor? The crowd exhales. See, that's easy. Everyone agrees. Let's go eat. But the lawyer hadn't had his Perry Mason moment. Perry Mason being this fictional lawyer who always won his court cases. He always won his arguments. And the lawyer wanted to argue with Jesus. Really? So he baits the trap. And who is my neighbor? Luke tells us that he asked his question seeking to justify himself. He wants to show off how good a neighbor he is. He likely has stories of locked in his chamber of how he helped the, next, the kid next door, Benjamin, or how maybe he mowed the rabbi's lawn and, you know, took care of him. Or maybe he gave 30 pieces of silver to the turn in the radical fund, you know. So... To us, it sounds like he lobs a softball question back at Jesus. Everyone knew the passage from Leviticus about loving one's neighbor. The context is about taking care of people. Your people? What people? The people who are like you, that you share things in common When we think of our neighbors, do we think of people who have the same views as we have? Are the neighbors are people who share our zip codes? Who have the same social 
economic and demographics as we do and similar culture or worldviews. The trap the lawyer was trying to set was to get Jesus to say that neighbors who are like you. Share love with the ones who are like you, your people, the ones who are around you. These are the people you and I are responsible for, he's trying to say. If Jesus had given that kind of answer, the lawyer could have said, then stay inside your circle, Jesus. Don't be messing around with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, foreigners, and especially the Samaritans. Remember the Jews and the Samaritans didn't have dealings with one another. So what the lawyer wanted to know is not who is the neighbor, but who isn't my neighbor. How far out of my way do I have to go to show I care about people? Instead of giving the lawyer the answer he expected, Jesus, he did that, that typical rabbi thing. He answers a question with a story and more questions. Jesus tells a story about a man on his way to Jerusalem, to Jericho. This road was notorious for people getting mugged along the way. And it would have been similar to an opening story like a man was walking down the street at 11 o'clock at night going down Skid Row. You know that's not going to have a good ending. You are not surprised to learn that he fell among thieves. They robbed him, beat him, stripped him, left him for dead. Now, the way Jesus tells this story, we are to see ourselves in this text, in this story. You and I are the guy in the ditch. Circumstances that could have happened to anyone. And you lay there with your life draining out of you into a puddle of blood underneath your head. But... There's hope. There's hope. Along comes a priest. And you think, oh, he's going to help me. He's a priest. He's going to help me. He's a man of God. Dressed up in his godly robes and his headdress and his piousness. And he looks and he sees you. And he steps over you. And he keeps going. Nope, he doesn't help. He walks to the other side and he avoids him. And the funny thing is that it's a narrow path. It's not like it's 10 lanes of traffic across the 91 freeway. So he he couldn't have missed him. The priest has to practically step over in you. Some commentaries have attributed motives for the priest that the text says that, you know, doesn't provide, for example, perhaps they're trying to make an excuse for him. Maybe the priest was on his way to perform his official duties and he couldn't come in contact with a corpse or someone bleeding. He was putting the law above human compassion. But other scholars are quick to point out that the text never ascribes motive and the Jewish expectation. Maybe he just didn't want to get involved. Maybe he thought it could be a trap that he may fall into. Maybe he thought the guy had it coming to himself. Maybe he didn't have time. After the priest comes a Levite. Levites were the people who had special roles of service with God and worship 
and in service in the temple, taking care of the religious business. But he passes by also. How would it feel to be passed over twice by people who represent institutions that are supposed to help? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that a friend or a family member you thought would be your ride or die and they weren't? You thought they'd be there for you when I say ride or die. They were committed to you and they weren't and they didn't show up. What makes the good Samaritan good? Well, along comes a third man. Now, Everyone listening to the story is expecting the third man to be an Israelite. Now, remember, this is Jesus teaching, and they're standing around listening. The crowd would have gasped by Jesus' sabotage of the regular story. You have a priest, they would have thought a priest, a Levite, and they would have thought an Israelite. But Jesus says, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now, to say there was animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans would be an understatement of the year. There were divisions between them that were just ugly. I mean, the ancient hatred was on both sides. So when the Jewish person called another Jewish person a Samaritan, that was the biggest insult you could make. Even after calling this story the Good Samaritan, would be cringy. It implies, well, there is one. There is a good one. So along comes the good Samaritan and the compassion for the man. The biblical word compassion compassion has the same root as the womb. It is something you feel deep inside, invoking care, instinct of love. Moved by compassion, he goes to extraordinary lengths To save the guy, he bounds his wounds, pours oil and wine on them, put him on his animal. He took him to an inn, opened up an account with the innkeeper, take care of him. However long it takes, whatever it takes, helped him to get well and get back on his feet. Put it all on my account. When I come back, I will repay you. Then Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three was a neighbor to the guy in the ditch? He says, the one who showed mercy. Not, we don't see a lot of that today, do we? When you look at the news, you don't see a lot of mercy. You don't see a lot of compassion. And it's a shame. But that should be something that's embodied in the church. Mercy, compassion. He says then, go and do likewise. So, the takeaways for tonight. Why should we know this story? Well, first, it's one of the most recognizable of all Jesus's parables, the Good Samaritan. Secondly, the passage gives us a key to a meaningful life. Love God, love thy neighbor, show mercy. Love God, love thy neighbor, Show mercy. Lastly, it explains why so many hospitals, charities, and benevolence programs carry the name Good Samaritan. Well, you can close your Bibles now and turn off your devices. I'm, I'm going to close. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to close with um, 
this story. It's a love story. It's a love story. There was a little girl, and she was decorating a box with gold wrapping paper to put it under a Christmas tree. Money was tight. Her family was poor. And the little girl used all the expensive wrapping paper on one box. Well, her father saw her and was furious, and he punished her for wasting all the expensive paper. Well, however, the next morning it was Christmas Day, and the little girl brought the gift to her father, and she gave the gift to her father. This is for you, Daddy, is what she said. This is for you. Well, he opened the box, and he found it empty. And he became furious again. He was angry. He yelled, he yelled at his daughter, Don't you know when you give someone a gift, there should be something inside it? And he said it very severely. The little girl looked at her father with tears in her eyes now running down her face. She said, Daddy, Daddy, the box is not empty. I filled it to the top with all my kisses. Because I love you, Daddy. I love you that much. Well, the father was stunned and he felt so embarrassed and ashamed. He scooped his little girl up into his arms and he held her. And he begged her for forgiveness. And he told her he was sorry. For many years, after his daughter had grown up and moved away, the man kept that golden box on his nightstand by his bed. And whenever... He felt downhearted. He opened the box and thought of the love that that child had put into that box. Each of us has been given a present of unconditional love from our children, family, friends, but especially God. It is the most precious possession that anyone could hold, someone's heart. Ezekiel 36 and 3626 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Why? You know this one. Say it with me. John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for this time. Lord, help us. Help us not to say to those around us, I see you, I need you, but I don't know your name. I touch you. I love you, but that's all you're going to get from me today. It's so easy. It's so easy to tell people that it's going to be okay. When we don't walk in their shoes, we haven't been through what they've been through, we push them away. (coughs) Excuse me. But our lives are cold inside, God. What's the use? So we thank you, God, for taking our heart, making it soft. And maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted him. Maybe you've never accepted him as your sin bearer. Pray this simple prayer. 
Dear Jesus, forgive me. I confess to you that I've sinned against you. I ask you to come into my heart, change my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross and saving me. Help me now to follow you all the days of my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, um, see me or see Pastor Tony or one of the ushers. We want to give you a Bible and uh, start you on your road with uh, the Lord. Wednesday night, Pastor Joe will be back here in the pulpit. Good Lord willing in the creek, don't rise. And uh, don't go anywhere. Our announcer, Brother Phil, has come and he's got some exciting things to share with you. And may the Lord richly bless you is my prayer. Thank you.